0: The Golden City Podcast, Episode 5, The Clinton Park Boulders. Homeless people are everywhere in San Francisco. That's not a complaint, it's an observation. Everyone has to be someplace, so I can't be angry with someone who's trying to live on the street. In the two decades I've lived here, my homeless neighbors have become more visible as their population grew. They're now part of the city's landscape in every neighborhood. Clinton Park is a narrow two block street that borders the Mission and Castro neighborhoods. It's right across from a Whole Foods statue of a guy on horseback from the Spanish American War. And it's adjacent to the back of a pet food express, and it's a parking lot. It's basically just a quiet residential side street with cars parked on one side, condos, apartments, some single family homes. But if you showed up there in September uh, 2019, Near the Pet Food Express parking lot, you would have seen 25 boulders, about 300 pounds each, lined up along the curb. They were placed there to discourage homeless people from setting up camp and uh, and drug sales. The boulders of Clinton Park are one of those stories that play really well for out-of-town audiences. It's got San Francisco hypocrisy, the consequences of liberalism run amok crumbling cities led by Democratic mayors, you get it. It's, uh, it's like a narrative just tailor-made for Fox News. And it was reported initially uh, at a news site where I used to work, Hoodline, before it was picked up by CNN and the Washington Post, international news sites, because like I said, it's a very San Francisco story. But no one covered it more closely than Mission Local and its managing editor, one of my favorite San Francisco reporters. Joe Eskenazi. Today I found out that the Society of Professional Journalists, Northern California chapter, named Joe their Journalist of the Year. Congratulations, man. It's not a surprise. If you want to understand what's happening in San Francisco, you should be reading his work.
1: You know, nobody wants to have a homeless encampment right on their front door.
0: The th- putting things on the sidewalk is something that kind of falls into the city's purview as far as what goes where and mm-hmm. what, can, what can be placed where. And so I couldn't just order some
1: boulders and place them willy-nilly in you know, any neighborhood I wanted to, could I? You can't. And there's, there's, what they did wasn't entirely uh, out of the pale because they put the rocks in an area known as the furniture zone, uh, which is you know one-third of the sidewalk on one side, one-third of the sidewalk in the middle, and one-third of the sidewalk on the other side. And the street side is called the furniture zone. That is the city-owned portion of the sidewalk. And so that's where these rocks were. Uh, It was, it was some, you know, hostile architecture that I don't know a rock qualifies as architecture. And these weren't even affixed to the ground, which created all kinds of problems that we'll get into later. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, we can get into that right now, actually. So one of the initial responses from people who did not like the rocks placed there was to roll these boulders into the street. Which took some doing. They weighed hundreds of pounds. And so this happened enough, This happened a few times, correct? It happened at least three
1: or four times, and I think the city had a terrible response.
0: Which think, was to? Which was
1: to put them back. Um, and these were an unwarranted, unpermitted uh, emplacement, and they kept putting them back.
0: Just to be clear, these boulders weren't installed by the city. They were placed by the residents of Clinton Park, who were tired of homeless encampments and drug sales on their block. They took up a collection to purchase the boulders and hired a contractor to install them carefully along the curb. They didn't get a permit or permission from the city. They just did it.
1: There was mistaken belief at the onset of this story that the city had put them there in the first place. And the proof that was offered was photos of uh, city crews with a crane, uh, you know, a truck crane, uh, putting the rocks in place. But they weren't putting them in place. They were putting them back in place. But this is a bad response. I can show you photos that, you know, we had on the Internet of police busting up kids' lemonade stands in Dolores Park because they didn't have a permit. You can't do stuff like that and then put back these unwarranted rocks and do it four times with city union workers earning city union worker money and, and diverting their time when they could be doing so many other things and doing it again and again and again when this becomes a cat and mouse game. Do we know how much, how much we paid
0: for to have these rocks put back
1: on the sidewalk? When we it's a gettable them? number. Um, I, I can tell you that, that my public records request on that has not yet been fulfilled. Uh, but you know you had three or four guys spending a couple hours each time and running uh, the machine, uh, which does not run on, uh, on fairy dust, and you know they have to pay for that with upkeep and, and gasoline money and, 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 and all that. I would say that it was. it's not unreasonable to think that it was hundreds, if not thousands of dollars each time they moved those rocks.
0: Yeah, I kind of, I think I mentioned it to you, we had a conversation, I described the city's response I thought as creatively incompetent, just because... Creatively incompetent is a great term, and I, I did appropriate that term with, with permission. Yes, indeed, all yours. Um, the director of public works, his name's Mohammed Noura, and uh, Mr. Clean, I believe he goes by on, on Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, he told the Washington Post... Uh, A neighborhood had people in tents who were literally selling drugs. Uh, They weren't figuratively selling drugs? (laughs) So we fully support the neighbors in this situation. And with regard to the boulders, he said, the problem is they were not big enough. So it it seems like the city is definitively standing on the side of the residents who wanted the boulders Well, there. this is,
1: again, a, uh, what happens when you have a non-response or a, a, just a, a poor response like the city did, is that you end up having Muhammad Nuru making de facto policy for the city of San Francisco, which is not a good idea. That's not the role that Muhammad Nuru should be in. Uh, Muhammad Nuru uh, has the larger boulders approach, and the larger boulders approach figuratively, comes out in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be literally larger boulders like we have on this street. Figuratively, we have people having their things stolen. We have people getting, you know, uh, high, you know sprayed off the street. We have people being literally pushed off, literally pushed off the street. So that's not creative. That's not a good way of doing things. So... Uh, The problem here isn't that Muhammad Nuru thinks these things, it's that he's being allowed to essentially set policy for the city of San Francisco. We have a Department of Homelessness, and we have cops, and we have elected officials. They abdicated their responsibility and allowed him to fill this void.
0: This isn't the first time public works try to create a physical environment that's hostile to homeless residents. In 2017, the agency installed boulders near the hairball, a tangle of sidewalks, bike paths, freeway overpasses, and surface streets where people had established an encampment. It's called the Hairball. It's, what is it? It's the actual location is, uh, what is it?
1: It's Cesar Chavez and Bayshore, essentially. Right, right. Like
0: a light industrial neighborhood.
1: The term Hairball is, it implies, you know, a a, a filthy drain, and and it is not a desirable place, but also implies like a, a, a tangle, and it is very much a tangle. It's one of the most difficult to navigate places uh, for a bicyclist or a pedestrian in all the city. That and right next to Alamany uh, Market. So they, have, they added boulders there in 2017. Thousands of dollars worth. And what happened then? Uh, those people are now elsewhere in the city. I mean, it's like stomping on a puddle. You don't get rid of a puddle that way, you just move it around. And it also, you know, is a, it's a message to the people who live there that they don't mean much. And, you know, uh, it doesn't solve the problem. It's literally, again, pushing the problem on the people's doors. Uh, I'm not saying it's good to be passive and have people living under the freeway, but uh, I don't know how it's better to do what we're doing. Going back to
0: the hostile landscaping and a couple of other examples. I can think of a few. I I found a few. I mean, other than the obvious ones like loud music and the spikes on benches. um, I I specifically
1: resent the music because they're making classical music out like it's something bad. Why should a homeless person not like classical music? Why is classical music over the head of a, of, a, of a homeless person. Why should it only be for people who are wealthy and housed? That's really a terrible message.
0: 2015, St. Mary's Cathedral. Sprinklers that, that was, were installed to soak the homeless and their
1: possessions. That's That was particularly a bad message coming from the Catholic Church. Not a, not a good look. The water stayed water, unfortunately, and got people wet. Uh, Castro Public Library.
0: Uh, they were doing some renovations um, and they added hard rocks, spiky plants, and Metal railings around the library's exterior. I just drove past the way over here, and I didn't realize they actually had landscaped these kind of cement mounds with mm-hmm. stones in them. Like like uh, like an armadillo who's uh, defending himself. It it looks like it looks like the the physical space is defending itself against people.
1: That's yes, it, that's yes, it it very like. much is. And, and you can find this stuff around the mission if you're looking for it in, in alcoves and places where people would nominally uh, sit or, or or kneel, and. Uh, you know the people who have to sell this as a proactive move you know try not to say it's defensive architecture but uh, it you know it's it's I mean people can sleep elsewhere I guess there's only a million other places to sleep in the city
0: if we're going to have a conversation about homelessness we need to explode some myths in 2019 San Francisco reported 8,011 people who met the federal definition of homeless an increase of 17% from 2017. When looking at San Francisco's expanded definition, the city's 2019 total homeless population is 9,784 people, the highest in the Bay Area. 70% of that total said they were living in San Francisco at the time they lost shelter. About 30,000 people live in single-room occupancy hotels, also known as SROs. Each room is about eight by 12 feet with a shared bathroom down the hall. Those are the numbers, but those are not the facts.
1: There is a methodology problem with the way that many of the numbers have been presented. First of all, the numbers of 17% increase is the homeless point in time count, which is people going out on one day and counting homeless people, but not just counting homeless people, Walter. It's counting people who look homeless. So if laundry day is the same day as point in time count day. You could be counted. It's very hard to do in the Tenderloin, where a lot of people who are formerly homeless are in the vicinity of where they are now housed. It becomes very difficult. So the numbers are not super-duper reliable. But on the other hand, they're the best we've got. And they are longitudinal that we can look back year to year and year. And hopefully the the methodological errors match, though that's impossible. It's kind of like the recount during 2000. You remember, like, if you're within the margin of error, you're within the margin of error, period, right? So uh, that's a problem. The 8011 number is the one that I think we should really go by when determining uh, any importance whatsoever, uh, because that's the federal definition of who is homeless. Oh, by the way, also, the federal definition of who is homeless does include people living in families and SROs, but you never count them because they're not out there to be counted. So, so you don't count people who are, who are in there, or some of those vulnerable people living in, in, in squalid conditions, 12 to a room, You know, certainly vulnerable becoming out and out, you know, uh, exposed homeless. The number that we need to look at is actually more terrifying than 8,000, which is the number of people who are homeless at any time during the year. And that number is about three times as high. It's 25,000 people are going to have periods of homelessness in San Francisco at any point in time. That's the number that
0: I think is more valid. That's, that's a huge number of people. I mean, I'm just trying to visualize 25,000
1: people, mm-hmm. and uh, that's like that's half of Oracle Park? What is that? Uh, it's more than half. Uh, because uh, Oracle Park, as you call it now, uh, is forty-two thousand, and so it's it's more than half. It's it's you know it's probably as many people will uh, well, will show up to watch the Giants actually in Oracle Park. It's like paid attendance, right? Uh, so uh, that's that's a scary number, and that's the number I think we need to focus on more, um, rather than the point in time count, which has its uses. It you know the point in time count is not without use. So it has a, a, a misdirected and and over inflated. Uh, importance attached to it, because you can put one number on it. Um, and then the point in time count is 8,011. That's what it is. Bing! You know, rather than looking at all the different components. The bigger number, that to me, I think that surprises everyone
0: I, I always share this with, is that 70% of the people who are homeless said they were living in San Francisco at the time when they became homeless. And I think, to me, that counteracts this trope, I guess I'd call it, that people come here to live on the street. People move to San Francisco to be homeless. And I've I've never understood that or why that myth processes. Well, I mean,
1: Diane Feinstein's still saying that Gavin Newsom is still saying that, they should stop saying that, the statistics don't back them up, but they'll tell you, oh, you don't know, like people in their administration, will be, oh, you don't know, people definitely come to San Francisco, how's about this people do not come to San Francisco who are homeless, there's not some kind of like hobo trail that people are riding the rails to come here and get a handout, because you Don't, really. You won't get housed until you can prove that you've been homeless for quite some time. And by the time you've been homeless that long, it's going to affect you in many bad ways. You know, if you aren't already unstable, being on the streets like that will make you unstable. And so the notion that people are coming here to get some manner of handout and live high off the hog is... ...is misbegotten at best.
0: so so then let's yeah. let's just have let's just have this conversation if we if we could just do the sensible things to fix this what would
1: we do well as you mentioned at the onset you can't solve it without federal and state intervention and help and also things are harder now because unlike 40 years ago you can't just lock people up against their will uh, as far as housing goes like you would want to build more housing and you'd want to you know have more federal money for it but it's, that's not there uh, so you have to do uh, local solutions and, and and that just comes in at just a trickle uh I I think, you know, you're not going to make the margins by getting the below market units uh, 15% of every development, I think it is now, or 19%, it's just not happening. That's not going to solve the problem, you know, especially if, as people allege, you know, that the, the, the market rate housing isn't even lived in, it's just an investment sink for people from elsewhere. So that's a problem as well. Um, I would say that a lot of it would be like, if this city really and truly did have treatment on demand for, for um, uh, for drug users, uh, that would be a huge, huge step up because a lot of people would, would want to have that and and it 's not there. Uh, the mental health system is is worse than I thought it was, and we have competing systems uh, on the ballot for March 2020, which is the worst way to do things, but you know hopefully one of those will will come through it 's going to cost a lot more money, but the problem it 's costing you money now anyway it 's just not being spent in ways you'd like it always costs more money to, uh, to administer people on the street. It always costs more money to, to deal with things on the back end in the emergency room rather than on the front end. So the question is, how do you want to spend the money? Do you want to spend the money in ways that actually improve outcomes or do you want to be caught you know, spending more for something far more inefficient like the American healthcare system? We spend more than the people elsewhere who are getting the stuff for free. And we have outcomes. worse outcomes. Yeah. We have, you know, it's the worst of all, it's the worst of all solutions. You know, it, you know, essentially, when you're trying to finagle that, you know, that, that double date with with two different partners, and then both of them say you're you're sleazy, and they both leave you. That's what we do as a matter of enshrined policy.
0: <laughs> so, so here's a question how do uh, How do boulders fit into
1: boulders? Are the manifestation? They're the canary in the coal mine of a system that has vacated. Um, uh, functionality and it leaves boulders or the human form of boulder and Muhammad Nuru uh, to be making very blunt policies that expose uh, a lack of leadership and a lack of, of recourse you know these people I think what they did was was selfish and and counterproductive but I can understand the motivation of not wanting to have like a drug bazaar in front of your house so I understand why they did what they did but you could use the same rationale for all kinds of much more extreme vigilante behaviors and then what right you know, people are are lighting homeless people's tents on fire.
0: Just to be absolutely clear, putting boulders out as a response to a failure of city leadership is the literal definition of
1: vigilanteism. It's not just people taking the law into their own hands. They're doing so because of a perceived corrupt or, uh, or inefficient government. I mean, in this city, we have a history of that. with the Committees of Vigilance in 1856, I think, was at least one of them, right? And they did some things we probably wouldn't want to do, like pull people out of jail and hang them. And there's a virtue signaling righteousness to, to kicking those boulders back on the street or, as is alleged, you know, making threats of sorts and doxing the people who put them there. This, again, you look back to who's at fault. It's, it's the city for letting this happen. It was, it was a, it, it, it's, it, it's a signifier of inefficiency and a lack of leadership. And, and again, putting them back each time was the worst thing that you could do. It was like being the referee at the pro wrestling match. It was the worst thing you could have done. They should have taken them away and dealt with the situation because now that like, there's a reporter on every corner and now that there's like city workers there, that now there's not a drug dealing bazaar, right? You know, And uh, it's the attention and the scrutiny and the foot traffic that helped. It wasn't the boulders.
0: A majority of the people living on our streets are San Franciscans. They're not freeloaders who came here to take advantage of social welfare systems. They're our neighbors. They're just not housed. As I said earlier, everyone has to be someplace. So if someone finds a doorway on my block and sleeps there night after night because they're out of the weather or they feel safe and secure, am I supposed to ask them to move along? Why? Because it upsets my sense of order? Because it doesn't look
1: good? It's It shouldn't be your responsibility. And, you know, this is something where you have to look to the government. You know, what are we going to do about this? Or we have to look to charities. What are we going to do about this? But San Francisco can't solve America's homeless problem. Everybody who's even the least bit serious about this knows that without state-slash-federal investment, we cannot, we cannot cope with the problem in the size that it is. Uh, and, and I'll be totally honest. I...
0: I didn't, I purposely did not want to talk about solutions in this conversation just because I don't have any. I was about to make this an explicit podcast. I don't have any solutions. I don't have any ideas as far as how to solve this problem that I have been
1: witness to since I moved to San Francisco 23 years ago. I have no idea What's, what, what, is, solutions what it Solutions force us to address some very difficult questions. I know that people high up in the city have talked to me about how there needs to be regional cooperation. and San Francisco's got all this money and Contra Costa's got all this land and there's kind of like, you know, a chocolate and peanut butter expression on people's faces. Well, what about that? And the thing is, that does make sense because building your way out of a homelessness morass in San Francisco is difficult because I believe this is the most expensive place to build in the history of money. Or building and so that's just you know the worst bang for your buck right but on the other hand we're doing it and, and it does make a difference for some people's lives on the other hand just putting people inside and then neglecting them is not is not the road to, to, to salvation because people still have problems and while you definitely need to provide housing you can't then neglect people. Uh, speaking with the folks who run the DOPE project, which helps you know, administer Narcan and, and you know, helps keep people informed about drug policy and drug realities, they pointed out to me that most of the fentanyl and other heroin type deaths are people who are in um, uh, monitored housing. Most of the deaths are people who are housed, not people who are homeless, which indicates uh, a failure of the housing first and then do nothing mentality. So, so it becomes it becomes very complicated. You, there's no simple solutions to this, and people, anyone who's selling you a simple solution either hasn't thought hard enough about this or is a charlatan. I want to
0: wrap up. Um, you're raising you're raising a family in San Francisco. Yes. Uh, you're a San Franciscan yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How old is How old is Leo? Your oldest? Four and a half. So, I don't know if you've had this conversation with with Leo, but. Uh, if he asks you, why are those people sleeping on
1: the street? How do you explain it? I'm glad you brought this up. Um, it's led to some deeply shameful moments, I think, because my son has invited homeless people into the house, and I had this like gut response of, oh no, and you know. But he was just, you know, the man had nice dogs and he was friendly. It's like, well, come to my house. I live right here. He actually pointed at our house. <laughs> okay and you know and you do see homeless people and, and you have to say and I'll say he, why is he here it's like because he has no home and they'll say why does he have no home and it's very hard to explain to a four year old and I'll just say you know I don't want to get into all the societal factors but I'll just have to say things like he, he's very unlucky you know I don't want to I'm not going to be like the Ayn Rand parent and say like he didn't work hard enough or something it's like he, he's had bad luck is usually what I tell my son and I also say we've been lucky you know but I also want him to know, like we could be unlucky too I don't know what we would do in these circumstances because um, I, I didn't invite that homeless man into the house. I didn't say, no, don't come. But like, you know, I, I you know, um, I think he and I both realized like, you know, when the four-year-old invited him in, he didn't say, sure, I'll come in, you know. Uh, it was a nice cordial discussion. He was walking his dog around the neighborhood, but but uh, it, it, it kind of exposes you for, well, we don't do it because we just can't do it type situation. And if, if there was, um, uh, you know, rampant drug dealing on the street I live on and, and, and all that kind of thing. I, I don't, I, I would not put in for boulders, but I wouldn't be thrilled with it. You know, I would call my supervisor. I would, I would, I would not want to call the police cause I don't want someone to get killed, but I would, I would try and talk with people in the city. I mean, I can tell you this is a bit off and maybe you let it this out, but you know, I was shot in the ass by kids with a paintball gun and I purposely didn't call the cops because I didn't want those, I didn't want to trigger a lethal uh, encounter, but you know, I've, I certainly called them later so they could put on their statistics and keep an eye out for it. But, but you know, I would, I would want to get involved in some manner of solution. But I, I, I can't just sit by and say like it's okay when people are, are are doing things that are antisocial at best and and you know incredibly destructive uh, and disrespectful at worst. It, there, there, there is a middle ground, and we have to find it. And what's more, like our leaders have to 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 take us there.
0: Let's stop there. Joe, right. thank you very much for this conversation. I really oh, I'm,
1: this. I, it was my pleasure, and you can come by here anytime. Next time, hopefully it won't be. It's like 100 degrees in here. <laughs> come on, we'll, I'll come back in the dead of winter. Later. I'm going to open the windows now. All right. Thanks. All right.
0: Thanks very much to my guest, Joe Eskenazi, managing editor of Mission Local. Music was written and performed by Michael Schritter. Podcast artwork was created by Cynthia Vega. And a very special thank you to Katie Springer, who produced this episode. You can follow The Golden City on Twitter at GoldenCityPod. Thank you for listening.